Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of the monthly powwow of Profit Max Entrepreneurs Network. And uh, today we have a guest whom I'm going to introduce in a little while, but just a little bit of preamble. Huh? So we know entrepreneurs are a rare breed, no? And successful entrepreneurs are self-made, full of grit and drive, their big dreams, audacious goals, a burning desire to succeed, and great determination. So today we're very happy to have Mr. A.K. Wu, founder and chairman of the Master Jaya Group of Companies, to share with us his entrepreneurial journey and inspire us with his insights and his lessons. So A.K. has been in business for 40 years. He started Master Jaya from scratch and built it up to what it is today. And I believe he has passed the reins on to his children, the next generation. And uh, well, without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Mr. A.K. Wu. Maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself and fill in the gaps that I've left out. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Peter. Thank you, uh, everybody. Very good afternoon. And I must uh, say a very big thank you to Peter and uh, Angela for inviting me to be one of the speakers today. Um, well, I think I should give a little bit of introduction about myself in order for uh, I think most of you don't know me yet, except for some old friends like Peter Lam and uh, KB Ng and perhaps uh, Go Min Hoon. Uh. I think we have been together in BNC for quite a while. I, I'm now 70 years old. So as you can see, uh, old, but still looked uh, healthy and strong. Uh, I was born in a very, I would say, extremely poor family, uh, you know, extremely poor family in a small town. Uh, called Port Dixon, uh, not in the town, but rather in the jungle. I call it jungle because it's a very remote and uh, secluded uh, village. Uh, not even a village, it's a really kampong house where you, your house from your neighbor is probably about uh, 200 meters away. You know? So you have a very small piece of land, you build a, a small little wooden house there. And there, is no, there was no water supply, no electricity whatsoever. You had to burn the the, what they call the, the carbide lamp, the uh, uh, kerosene lamp, as well as carry water from the well. And my, my parents used to be a rubber tapper, as well as uh, a farmer, you know, in a small farm. So I was grown up in that kind of, uh, I would say, very hostile environment. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I was lucky to have, uh, <laughs> to have some education. Uh, anyway. Uh, when I finished my Form 5, uh, that was in the year two, uh, 1969, you know, that was the May 13th year where we have this uh, our own civil rights. Um, I was not allowed to study further. I, my parents said, no, you go and work, start started working. You, know. you get paid 250 ringgit per month. And I was wondering what I'm going to do with the 250 ringgit you know, for the next five years or 10 years. And eventually, I insisted that I wanted to continue my study. And because of my, you know, very strong determination, uh, my mother was uh, moved. My mother was uh, touched. And then she said, okay, I will try my best to support you. So she went to Kuala Lumpur. She came up to KL and borrowed 500 ringgit from one of my uh, so-called richer uh, relatives. Uh, and so 500 ringgit, I think at that time, is quite big enough for me to at least to start. And I managed to get into Singapore Polytechnic to do my uh, mechanical engineering diploma. Uh, but when I went there, I realized that, you know, the final ringgit was exhausted in within two months. You know? <laughs> so I have no money. 
So what do I do? I started to to uh, give uh, tuition. And that was that was back in the day when the ringgit was one to one to sing, right? Exactly. Can you imagine one to today, one. it will last you for two weeks. Yeah, one to one, one ringgit and one sing dollar is the same. Yes. So I have to give tuition in the night, and I I have to stop my uh, even my study for a while to work part time in the construction site in the shipyard and so on as a laborer. And I still remember I was paid one ringgit a day, one dollar a day, like one, one sing dollar a day. And working for eight hours, you got you got paid for eight ringgit, huh? eight dollar. <laughs> I worked overtime for some time, you know, I got about 10 ringgit per day. So imagine after working for about a month, you get about 300 ringgit, three, 400 ringgit. Huh? And then that's enough for me to pay my tuition fees. And then I continue again. So eventually I managed to finish the study. Uh, you know, but in, in between, I must say that I went through a lot of hardship. A lot of hardship, almost giving up, but uh, I persisted, uh, persevered, persisted, and eventually I managed to pass um, the exam. And I managed to get a job in Singapore. I tried to apply for many jobs in Malaysia. I couldn't get one. I, don't, I want my ambition is to become a, a steam engineer in a palm oil mill. You know, because at that time steam cert, uh, steam engineer certificate is very, uh, what do you call, very lakura. You know, so but somehow or other nobody wanted to take me because you we were fresh. And I got the job as a service technician. Um, uh, paid, I received remember, uh, the pay was 480 ringgit per month. Uh, that was, uh, well, to me, is happy. Uh, no? First job, 480 ringgit. I worked there only for about six months and I decided to come back to Malaysia. So I managed to get a job in uh, in Bunsu, you know, the Bunsu, the Penang Tycoon, the Bunsu Group. Yeah, very big group. I, they, they started a new venture with the Japanese uh, company called NGK Sparkplug. So I was employed as a production engineer in the factory. And uh, the reason I took up the job was because I got an opportunity to be sent to Japan for industrial training for three months. So I was very excited. You know, I've never taken a plane before in my whole life. First time to fly in the plane, uh, first time to travel overseas. So I said, I don't care about the pay. Like, you know, I just want to take this opportunity to travel to Japan and stay there for three months. You know? <clears throat> so uh, so we were lucky. I, I was picked and then we were sent to Japan for three months and I came back. I worked for them only for one year because a production job is very boring. You know? I, I, I did it very well. The Japanese like me, the, the Bunsu's son, and the Loka King himself, the son who was quite a dynamic guy. And he also liked me a lot. He said, no, no, I don't allow you to go. You know, We will pay you more and Things like that, so no. And you, I was paid seven hundred ringgit. You know, that was in nineteen seventy three or seventy four. So it's quite a good pay, yeah, seven hundred ringgit in Penang, especially. So, but anyway, I said, I don't see the future here, and my character is is not suitable for production. I was, a, I all along have been a very extrovert person, uh, like to talk a lot and like to mix around. So I said, maybe this job not suitable for me, you know, for a longer term. Then I left. And I joined uh, uh, a Chinaman company in KL uh, doing sales. First time, you know, first sales job for me. And it was a terrible company, you know, you know Chinaman company, uh, no system, nothing whatsoever. But I worked like a dog, you know. And eventually I left them after about a year, I think. And I joined George Ken. Uh, you know, George Ken is a, <coughs> is a big uh, public estate company as a sales and a project engineer. And there I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot about industrial equipment like palms and fans and incinerators, uh, compressors and so on and so forth. And I was there for about, I think almost two and a half years, two and a half years. 
And I talked to my boss. I said, can you pay me sales commission? You know, you know, George Kent being a British company at that time, uh, they were very conservative. And they said, no, we only pay you fixed salary, bonus, and some benefit. That's all. No sales commission. And I negotiated with my boss. I said, look, I am prepared to pay cut 30%, you know. I said, you come and pay 30%. I take the job, sales job, uh, on a commission basis. So if I don't sell, I won't get paid, right? So I said, that's fair. If I sell more, your company make more, and you only pay me, I don't know, maybe 1%, 2% of the sales commission. That's all. But <clears throat> after talking to the managing director, who was a British gentleman at that time, uh, my boss came back to me and said, no, sorry, they don't have such a system in the company. They cannot set a precedent for you alone, you know. So they said, okay, in that case, I will leave. Lah. So very uh, reluctantly, I left the company. And I joined uh, uh, another big international uh, Swedish company called uh, Flecht Cadillus. It's part of the ABB group, a very big company uh, worldwide. And I was there, joined there as a sales and project engineer as well. And that's where I ventured into uh, industrial air pollution control. You know, I was the first person to be employed uh, by that company to, to head start this uh, particular division. So I, I grew with the company. I did very well. Um, I had uh, then I became the division manager. Over the years, uh, I was promoted to be the sales manager. Then eventually become the division manager. And the reason, the main reason they want to promote me is because they want to reduce my income. Because as a salesman, <laughs> we were paid very handsomely. You know? I mean, you'll be shocked in the in the late seventies, uh, my income was more than hundred thousand. You know. Wow. So that that's uh, that's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, even my so general manager, superstar. Yeah, yeah. Even my general manager, who is a who is an American, he didn't get the car pay. He always tell me, "Okay, you got more more income. Your income is higher than me." I said, that's a difference because you sit in the office, you do nothing, but you just do as an admin manager, although you're a GM, <laughs> but you collect all the data, you collect all our data, you collect our figures, you collect the account, then you send it back to the headquarters in Sweden, right? That's all. You, you have never gone out to the field. You never went out with me to visit any customer. You don't even know any of our single customers. So I said, I think your job is relatively easy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you don't know how, how tough it is. I said, I know, I know. But... So... <clears throat> He wanted to promote me because he won't cut my salary, my commission, but he will increase my salary. So I refused many times, but he said, no, you cannot remain as a salesman all the while. We have to promote you. We want to build you. We want to make you a management staff. So eventually I, I have no choice, but I will agree. And gradually I went up, uh, but they were very fair. They give me 10% profit sharing of the division, which uh, is quite good. Uh, I still, I still my, my, my income still maintain around 100K, so it is not too bad. And of course, at the same time, I also developed my uh, management skill and so So I worked with this company for about seven years. And eventually, I decided to venture out on my own because I know that I cannot join any other company. With this kind of salary, nobody will employ me. And at that time, I was not even a qualified engineer. I was just, a, you know, I was just a diploma holder, uh, although I got many qualified engineers working under me. So, and I said, okay, I think my next step in my career is to venture out on my own. I just want to test myself right, you know, in the market. And I say, if I can do it so well for this company, perhaps I can do it for myself. Of course, I'm not too sure, but I was very determined. I said, no, I will just- What, what year was that, Aiki? Uh, that was in 1983. 
I, okay. I left. Actually, I wanted I, I, I wanted to leave in 1980 or 81. But because of the good salary and because of the, you know, the, the, the forthcoming projects uh, that I'm going to get, and that mm. project alone will give me another 30, 40, 50,000 ringgit kind of a commission uh, or profit mm. sharing. So I, I, tend, I, I, I decided not to leave because I said, I don't want to forego this, this good income and good money. Yes, but yes. then I say, if I keep doing that, then every year I will not go, you know, because the more I think about that project, I will get another 20,000, 40,000, 50,000, then I will not go. So by, the, by then I would be maybe 40 years old, it's too late. So finally in 1983, I, I uh, decided to, what is called, to, to break the, the, the bridge, you know, and, and I said, okay, I think I, I will jump in. So I decided to leave. Uh, although my boss uh, refused to let me go, uh, my Swedish boss, uh, was very, very angry. And then he even went to the headquarters and uh, came back with a good suggestion. He wanted to form a new company for me. And let me lead, lead the company as the uh, managing director. You know, from a manager to be the managing director. As you know, you, you went out, you leave this office, you set up your own office, you set up your own operation, and you become the MD of the company. I, I was mm. quite shocked, you know, with that offer. I said, oh, what? You know, but finally I told him, as a boss, Whatever it is, I am still not your shareholder. I'm still your, you know, I'm still working for you anyway, right? <laughs> so I, 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 I left lah. He was so angry, but he was so kind. Until today, we are still friends, you know. Uh, he's probably in his, uh, I think he's about eighty-five years old now, but he's still very healthy. So we are still good friends today, until today. And he he's, said, he's, okay, he's in Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Yes, back okay. to Sweden. Really. Okay. So is AK? I just want to tell you one thing. My door is always open. If you want to come back, we will come you back anytime. And I said, boss, I really hope I don't need to come back. <laughs> because if I come back, I feel my business, right? So I said, no, I hope I, hope I don't have to come back. So I left and uh, eventually, uh, that's how I started my company called uh, Master Jaya. All so right. that, that's, the, that's the basic uh, background. No? Yeah, that's a very interesting background, no? And, and thanks for sharing your childhood as well, because many, many successful people come from a very tough uh, childhood days, no? And how they break through because of their strong mindset, their intelligence, their capability, and their, their determination and grit and ambition and all that. Okay. So tell us, tell us how you got started. How do you, do you start Master Jaya? What were maybe the one or two biggest challenges when you got started, no? Yeah, of course, uh, when I first started, um, you know, first thing is, we don't have big capital. I know I, I put in 50,000, that's all my saving into mm. the bank. And uh, we managed to get a small uh, overdraft facility from Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank. And that one was through uh, my, one of my good friends, also a Swedish gentleman in Malaysia at that time. He helped me to link up with the Hong Kong Bank and give us uh, a 50,000 ringgit uh, loan. Uh, so-called overdraft, you know. So with that, I started my operation. I rented a very small office, measuring about, I think eight feet by ten feet. Like my, if I'm not wrong, the room was around there, uh, with a one small table, uh, with a phone. Uh, that time, no, there was no, there was no fax machine yet, you know. And we were using a you know very old machine called Telex, you know Telex. Mm, right? Yes, yes. Uh, so we're using the telex, huh? <laughs> So the telex you need to decode and code all this. You know, I don't know how to use it anyway. So, and this is how I started, you know. And you know what are the challenges, you know? 
I have got all my competitors except one or two uh, local company. The rest are all international giants. They were big giants. Like ABB is a big giant. My previous company, like before I know, I mean, I left. Huh? They, they are the biggest. And then I have got the American company. I got a Japanese company. I got a German company. They're all big fellas, you know. So how are we going to fight? I'm, a, I'm alone. One man. One man show. Huh? And you know what? My competitors go and tell everybody you know, in the market. You, you dare to buy from this, this guy. Huh? This guy, AKU. It's very dangerous, you know. Because he only have a small room. Yeah? <laughs> one table. And he can, he can just close shop next morning, next day. He will just meet, you know, fly by night, lah, the kind of company. Take your order so, and say bye-bye. Ah, take your, your down payment and close shop and, uh, and go. You know? So better think three times. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a big challenge for me to, to really sell my, my products and so on. Uh, I was lucky enough. Lah. I was lucky enough that I have some hardcore, uh, strong supporters. Uh, with me, I mean, I before I, I ventured out on my own, I did some survey in the market. Uh, what I do is I visited all my customers and I asked them whether they would support me. I can tell you very frankly, for those who want to venture out on their own, better do this. Um, they 50% said no, directly on your face. They like, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, when you start on your own, you are such a small company. And these are all big capital equipment. Uh, I think it's difficult for me to support you. I mean, let's be frank, uh, because if anything go wrong, I don't know where to look, where, where to hunt you around. Uh. So at the time, there was no mobile phone whatsoever on him. So, <laughs> and then you have nobody, you have no service technician, you don't have a factory, you don't have, you have nothing, you have one table, that's all, you know? <laughs> so 50% said no. I, I, of course, I don't get angry with them. I said, okay, I understand. I understand your situation. Well, I think it's fair. I hope, I hope like in the future you can still give me a chance. And I went to talk to others again about the maybe about 35, 40%. Huh? They're on the on the fence, you know. They were sitting on the fence. They uh yeah, maybe yes, yes or no. Uh, let's see, let's see how. Uh, let's see, like, when you started, let's see how. Um uh, maybe you can can discuss, uh, can talk. Uh. I think when they say that you had, you can discount them off. That means they will not support you. Uh, they just just like to be. They just want to be more diplomatic. Like, yeah. uh, want to be more diplomatic to you. They don't want yes. to reject you outrightly. You know? So I also know that these people will not support me either. But there's about ten percent of your customers who say yes. They are the buddy. You know, they call it the buddy. Yeah? They say, "Okay, I will support you all the way." That's enough. You know, of the 90 percent, 90% almost say no, the 10% yes is enough. So what you do, I focus on this 10%. Then I first started. Mm. I just okay. went to them, go with them every day, once a while, go for lunch, chit chat, you know. Uh, maybe at that time no 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 inquiry for me, no business yet. But I still continue to build my relationship with them. And I had my breakthrough and a customer gave me a good order. I remember the first order I had was uh, 80,000 ringgit. Mm. 80,000 ringgit, uh, I can make 25%. That is about what? About uh, uh, almost 20,000, right? Yeah. Uh, about 20,000. Yeah. And that can last me for how many months, you know? Because yeah. uh, at that time, when I came out on my own, I cut my salary by more than half. <laughs> I cannot expect to get 100,000 anymore. So I said, I give myself every month 
three thousand ringgit. No, three thousand only. No, the salary three thousand. Like eighty three, lah. So okay. then I said, oh, I think with eighty thousand, if I make twenty five percent, that can last me about almost six months, right? Yes. So I'm assured that my company will survive. Okay. That's how I. That's how I manage my company, right? Every order I get, I start to calculate the profit, my expenses. Ah, this one can cover me another two months, another three months. And then gradually I build up because you need reference installation. I mean, uh, anywhere you go, uh, even though you have a lot of experience behind you, they say, "Okay, mm. this is not okay. your job. This job were your previous company's technology, not your technology." Yes. And yeah, you have no reference under your name, your company, Master Jaya. You don't have any reference, so it's very difficult for me to talk to my boss to give you the order. Mm. So that's that's why we need to have. More uh, orders to build our reference installation. I mean, yep. reference references, right? Okay. So and uh, build up slowly, slowly, and uh, and then. So what was can... what was the breakthrough moment when you scaled up, uh, KK? Yeah, uh, the breakthrough is uh, when I uh, the real breakthrough. Uh, because these are all small orders, are uh, not big orders. The real mm. breakthrough is when I managed to get a, a product agency line from a. A very big, one of the world best uh, steel plant or rolling mill manufacturing company in uh, Sweden. They came to me and said they are looking for agent in Malaysia. Uh, are you interested? You know, so through my some connection with uh, with my Swedish friends, uh, they recommended mm. this company, and they came to Malaysia. And then they were having three companies in mind. Uh, one was my previous company. One was uh, I think at that time it was called Time Engineering. Got a big. You know, it's for a public listed company, and mm. one more is a Singapore company having a operation in Malaysia. Uh, that my my is the the, the small ikan bilis company lah. So when the two Swedish men came to my office, they said, "Okay, is where's your office?" I said, "This is my office." They saw my by the room, my table. <laughs> I cannot even give him two chair in the room because the room is so small. <laughs> I said, "Sorry, I need to open the door so they can sit next to the door." <laughs> So, and and uh, he said, okay. Uh, he came for about one hour. After that, he said, okay, I, we need to visit another two more companies uh, before we make any final decision. And he left and then went to visit the other two, two three companies. But three or four days later, he came back again. Hmm. Said, um, I said, oh, you you did not. You was you still in Malaysia? I said, yeah, yeah. We have we have a plan to stay for one week. He said, "Okay, uh, we have visited the other companies. Um, we have not decided yet, but are you are you able to help us to do something while while we are still here?" I said, "What do you want me to do? Said, I would like you to make some appointment for me to visit some steel mill, steel plant in Malaysia. Would you be able to do that? When do you want to go?" He said, "We can go tomorrow." Oh my God! I said, "Such a short notice." Okay, I try. So I make a call to Malaywata. I call me the thing was called Malaywata. Now it's called Anjua, and then I call up another one is uh, M Steel, M Steel in the Klang lah. Not the thing. Ah. So I managed to get an appointment for Malaywata. I said, okay, you're lucky. I managed to speak to the works manager and my good friend. He said, okay, tomorrow you can come. Up. My even my friend asked me, you know, okay, who are these fellows? They are this Swedish company. I said. But he is very good. He said, "Are you the agent?" So no, I'm not. I don't know yet because they are trying to look for an agent. And then he said, 
Why are you want to waste your time? And then well, uh, just oblige them. Uh. So the next day, I drove up together with two of them uh, to Penang. And we met up with the works manager. But from the very day, from the very moment I arrived at the factory, at the factory and the, and the reception office, uh, they realized that I knew almost everybody in the plant. Almost mm. everyone, you know. I went, hello, hello, again. Okay. <laughs> so all this, he realized that the kind of warm reception I had from uh, my old customer, you know. And until we reached the works manager's office, then we sat down and talked, chit-chat, chit-chat. Then he asked, my friend asked him, okay, I think your equipment, we know your, we know your company, we know your technology is very advanced. Uh, but you don't have any agent in Malaysia, right? So how are you going to service? You know, how are you going to service us? We buy the equipment from you. And then he said, yeah, yeah, we are still looking for an agent. Then, you know, my friend, actually, to be frank, I have not even asked my friend to say anything about me, you know. But this friend of mine told him, you don't waste time with anybody else. Just ask Mr. A.K. Wu to be your agent. He is the best. Wow. Yeah, imagine what a that. strong endorsement, man. Yeah. I said, I said, no, no, no. I said, uh, I think you, to be fair to them, they have to make their own judgment and evaluation. You know, that's fair, right? I mean, you know, but my friend said, keeps, keeps saying, telling them that, no, no, he's the best because I trust him and he can give me good service. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> we had a, a nice, uh, nice uh, visit and we went, we went, we went, he even brought us to see the plan, uh, the, the operation, the production operation. Then we came back the same day and next day, we went to M Steel. Again, I went in. I know almost everybody from the you know, reception to the secretary, to the production manager, to the rolling manager, to the purchasing manager. Almost everybody. I just poke my eyes and know into the, the room. Hey, hello, friend. Hello, hello. Everybody know me. So after that, we came back to my office the following day. Uh, yeah, the following morning, he came back. Uh, he opened his bag. He brought the the contract, you know, the agreement, the agency agreement. He said, okay, can you sign this agreement? I said, oh my God, you, you mean you brought along the agreement as well? Yeah, we actually we were ready. We we're only waiting for to appoint which particular company to be our agent. And we have now decided to appoint you as our agent. I was quite shocked. Mm. Yeah, I was quite pleasantly surprised. Oh my God. I said, you're sure you can trust me? I mean, you know I'm one-man show and I only have one table here. <laughs> That's all I have. So no, no, we realized because I said, you tell me the reason, the true reason. He said, yes. We went to the other two companies. We were given very bad treatment by the company. What do you mean by that? Because the manager did not see us. Neither the general manager was still the managing director. We, they, got, they asked a very junior guy, a, a very junior young man who got no bloody experience to meet up, to meet us in a, in a small meeting room just to entertain us for a while. You know? So he, he knew that this company is not interested in him or, you know. Too big, they, like, too big. They were too big. Yeah, maybe they thought uh, these two guys came here to waste my time. So that's why he, they were, you know, they were, of course, they felt very bad uh, that they were given such a bad uh, treatment. No hospitality whatsoever. And then similarly, the other company as well. The other company, they didn't even manage to meet anybody, you know. They said, oh, sorry, we're all very busy. We couldn't see you. So I was the only one, a small little China man, you know, treating him very well, brought him everywhere for dinner, for lunch, and, you know, they feel very comfortable. You know, I even brought them to my house, you know. I think that time will happen to be a Chinese New Year. So I asked him to join my Chinese New Year party as well. 
So mm. they, they felt very warm, la. They felt very well received. So okay. okay. So they say I signed the the contract, you know. All right. And I became which which uh, which principal was this? Okay. Uh, it's called uh, last time the, the name was called Morgan Shamala in Sweden. It's a Morgan Shama company. Okay. It's a small town in uh, Sweden. I mm. visited them many times. They are the best, one of the best rolling mill uh, manufacturer in the world. Mm. Very high technology. Okay. And and you know within six months I managed to get a job, get a court, get a good contract. That's a, that was really my breakthrough. A big contract amounting to about I think almost eighteen million ringgit. Wow. Oh, that was a real big true, and I got very good commission. Of course, <laughs> you know, if, if I don't get the order, I probably would have been heartbroken, you know, because I had to go to Singapore to stay in Singapore for almost two weeks. You know, they stay in those five star hotel. I have no choice. I have to, you know, you know, just have to stay with them. I have to pay all my bill, you know, and then just sometimes buy them dinner and drinks and so on. And you know, the reason why we have to go down to Singapore is because uh, Southern Steel. Happened to be uh, uh, the, the net, net Steel Singapore, they call it National Steel Singapore last time. Yeah. Net Steel Singapore happened to be their technical advisor. And all the technical uh, discussion or meetings uh, were conducted in Singapore at that time. Mm. We meet up with the technical manager, the rolling mill yeah. uh, manager, you know, the whole technical team there mm. to present our case and so on. So we had to be there in and out every day. And we had to fight against the Italian, the German, you know, they were all these big international rolling mill manufacturers. Yeah. And okay. and eventually we were very lucky. We got the order. Mm. And of course, the, the my Swedish man was very happy. He said, you are the first agent in the world who managed to get our first big order in six months. You will break okay. the record time, you know. Most agents right. take about two or three years, you know. I took only six okay. months. But okay. it was also timing, like, you know. Because right. Southern Sea at that time happened to want to start a new wire rod mill. Mm. So we got an order. And not only that, we also got some uh, good uh, steel fabrication contract and so on. Okay. So uh, then I got this good order. And then uh, I don't tell you how much I made. Uh, made enough to buy a five acre land, five acre wow. industrial land. Okay. And I built a factory. I built a big industrial fabrication steel fabrication factory with, it, with this money. So that is my real breakthrough. And then no is that, other. Is that company. the factory? Is that the factory in Nilai or is that the factory in? Uh, no, no, Nilai. Malakong. Malakong yeah. uh, I already got the, that. Malakong uh, at that time, I think I haven't got it yet. I, I think I also built Malakong. Then later I built uh, a big factory in okay, uh, Nilai. Okay. All right. So, so uh, um, all my competitors never dare to bet more me anymore, no? because they cannot. <laughs> because I'm bigger than they. I'm really bigger. I really exceeded their level, of their their scale already. Okay, okay. So right. they cannot go and tell people that this will okay. fly by night. You know? Okay. I have a own factory, you know. <laughs> All right. Okay, AK. Okay. There's some there's some entrepreneurs who start from scratch, like in their twenties. No, they never worked for anyone. They started from scratch, and some like you came up after working for with some years of experience with multinational companies and all that. What would you say are some advantages, pros and cons of having worked with the corporate sector for a few years before starting on your own? And yes. also, were there, any, yeah. were there any downsides to that? Yeah, okay. Actually, I have been working for uh, most of the company I work for are quite big companies. Like, you know? uh, like even the, the Bunshu one, uh, although it's not a very big factory, but also they have the joint venture with the biggest spark plug manufacturer in Japan, which is called NGK. Uh, which yes, at yes. the time was very popular, very famous. Uh, yes, the biggest, NGK, spark plug. Uh, yeah. With the head, yeah, spark plug. Uh, for motor car, motorbike, and, so on. and <clears> they were located in Nagoya as a HQ. 
so I learned a lot from the Japanese people, you know, the Japanese way of management. Uh, they are very military style. Uh, I was forced to learn Japanese because my other bosses were all Japanese. So I had no choice with respect to them in Japanese and so on. Um, so that I learned a lot about uh, uh, what they call it, discipline, about the uh, rules and regulations, mm. uh, standard operating procedures. They were very straight on that. So I think that is something mm. that is drilled into me, which is yeah. very good. Yeah. Then when I joined George Ken, they have a, also they have very good system, uh, very very good system. Everything is very systematic, uh, logic very methodical. Everything mm. is well arranged. You know, very disciplined. So yes. uh, and it's good, easy to work in that kind of environment. Mm. Whereas when I work for the Swedish company, I was given a lot of freedom. That is one thing good about it. They don't care about what you do. You know, they set a target. Okay, you are supposed to make every year. I want you to make half a million ringgit for me. That's the target. I want to I want your division to make five hundred thousand every year. They have many divisions, you know. Mm. So every division manager is, is responsible for the overall uh, operation and the profitability of that division. In fact, when we were running this division, we were actually like running our own company because you can hire, you can you can hire and fire, you can plan your own trip. For example, I went overseas. I don't even need to get approval from my GM. I just bought a term my secretary book the etiquette. And then I just tell my boy, hey, I'm leaving for Sweden. Then I go, I, I'm now going to America, go to Italy. Just tell him what you want to do there. And that's it. You know? mm. So as long as it's within your budget, because we are the one who control the cost, the expenses, and also manage the income, you know, the, the revenue and so on. So okay. that, that's the one thing we learned, which is very good. And of course, right. the other thing is, why I dare to start is because I, first of all, I have a lot of knowledge in this particular field. Uh, I have knowledge, I have the skills, uh, practical skill, you know, I, because I, I'm very hands-on man with the, with the project, with the mm. design, with the system, with the equipment and so on. Mm. And secondly, I know the customer very well. I, when I was uh, living, uh, doing sales in my uh, big Swedish company, I my personal relationship with the customers are excellent, real excellent, mm. meaning to say we are like brothers, like friends, you know, real good friends. Mm. I, I always take up hobbies when I know that this guy like to play tennis, I will learn tennis. Yeah, <laughs> hey, Hey, Peter, come on. Can I invite you for a round of tennis? And then I took up squash because I'm, at the time, squash was quite popular, you know. I, I was still young. Yes. So I played squash. Even though I'm not good, but still I can play with them, right? And then yes. finally, I learned golf because I know well, I've a lot of business people like to play golf. So I went to pick up golf. And <laughs> and then, of course, uh, a lot of these uh, factory engineers, uh, they like to drink in a pub. You know? That time, pub was very popular. Pub and nightclub, you know, uh, so I I I was I become a drinker, you know. Every day I go <laughs> drink in a pub and get to know those engineers. So that's how I built my relationship and rapport uh, with these people. Okay. And because of that, I think uh, it gave me a very good start because I know mm. that I I know the people. Mm. I have to know how. I know the market, mm. and therefore I dare to go in because yeah, uh, it's a very specialized field. Yeah. You know? Okay. So so if I can summarize, huh? Okay. I mean, you make it sound very easy, like it's a bed of roses. But actually, there were a lot of things involved, and one of the things was the the the, the exposure that you had while working for all these multinationals, whether it was Japanese, British, or even the Scandinavian, Swedish companies, and you took the best from them, and plus your personal charisma, your personality, your ability to connect with people, uh, all this combined, I guess, led to where you are now, and and I think over the course of the last forty years, you would have seen couple of, uh, how shall I call it, 
economic crisis, uh, whether it was Asian financial crisis or the dot-com bubble or whatever you want to call it, so many crises. So how have you been able to navigate through those situations or how were you able to plan through those and get through that uh, volatile yeah. periods and all that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because when I started in 1983, I think I would I must have gone through at least three or four uh, economic crises, you know, mm. the recession, uh, initial financial crisis, and and so on and so forth. Uh, there are many crises, but yeah. I was very very fortunate and lucky that I I managed to uh, go through all. Uh, although I was also suffering during the, the real big crisis or during the 1997, 98, or no, 99, the Asian financial crisis. Uh, so much so that my business was uh, very badly affected. Uh, supply chain was affected. And then, of course, my cash flow was bad, very bad, because I couldn't collect uh, money, enough money from the customers. And my suppliers were chasing me like hell. And eventually, and the banks are chasing me. There's a problem because I have a low bank load at that time. You know, imagine you, you need to build a factory, cost you a couple of million. You know, I have my big office in uh, Blackong. I have my big factory in Nilai, you know. So I finally, I said, okay, we have to sell the Blackong factory, uh, Blackong office, and then we only move everybody to Nilai. But unfortunately, nobody wanted to buy in my office in, uh, in uh, what do you call it, in, Nila, in uh, Blackong. I, you know, the market price at that time for my office was about 4.5 million. And, you know, the agent said, cannot sell at lower. I said, okay, you tell me what price. Then finally he said, can you sell at about 3.8? I said, can, no problem. I was on nobody on buy. Finally, it went out to 3 million. I said, okay, sell, no problem. I went out, cut loss, never mind. Eventually, one fellow offered me 2.8 million. Huh? I said, okay, take, no worry. Take, it's okay. But when the, his partner came and looked at my office is oh your floor your ceiling high is too low la. you know the container cannot go inside la. all kinds of bloody excuses you know so <laughs> i say hey what else you want huh? 4.0 million 4.5 million drop to 2.5 almost half price you know now you want to give me all this bloody jazz la. so eventually uh, sorry like this building not suitable for us i said okay la. so we didn't sell but we have our cash flow is a problem you know so i said what do we do so finally you know as a businessman you have to be flexible la, huh? in order to save the situation. I said, okay, let's decide. We sell the factory in uh, in Nilai. You know, the five-acre one I told you? I managed mm. to sell. You know whom I sell to? I sell to our Ministry of Domestic Affairs. <laughs> domestic trade, uh, non-domestic trade. They wanted a big big space, big land uh, to store all the, the goods that they confiscated you know, from, you know, those those slot machine, la, those smuggler car, la, whatever, you know. So they need a big storage place. So I managed to sell to them at about, I think close to about 4.8, around 4 million or 4.5 million. I, I make about 1 million, to be frank. Even though the price was very bad, you know, during mm. good time, I would easily have sold for about 6 million. I sold for 4 million. I made 1 million. So what I did, I paid off, I paid off everything. I paid off the bank loan. I paid off all my creditors. I'm totally clean. I'm free from any liability. I have no debt whatsoever. I mean, no debt, no, 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 no what they call outstanding payment to all my suppliers, my customers. I mean, my, uh, this, uh, what they call, um, yeah, suppliers and so on. And every revenue, every dollar that I, I, I make now is my own because you don't have to pay the bank loan anymore you know? because the bank loan is quite substantive. At that time, I need to pay about, I think about 30,000, 30 or 35,000 a month. 
it's quite a lot of money. So I, I was so happy, you know. And then we moved back, all back to Blakong. Then we still managed to uh, do our production on the ground floor, which is very small, you know, only about 10,000 square feet. So, but still we managed to, to do it and we subcontract 70% out. We only make 30%, you know. But after a few years, uh, the economy gained back and we, I went out to, went back to Nilai and looked for another piece of land. And I was lucky, you know, the price was still the same. When we sold our first factory, it was 12 ringgit per square foot. When I bought back this new factory, I bought a smaller one. Inside, I bought about two acres. Huh? It's still 12 ringgit. After five years, they never went up. But for a user, it was very good. So immediately, yeah. we bought the land and built a new factory. And then we moved to the so new So I factory. learned something. Huh? If you want to buy a factory, go to Nilai. Yeah. Good value. But, but now the price has gone up. Now it's yeah. twelve ringgit. Oh, the price there is almost eighty ringgit. Wow! So I also, I also make a lot of money from the property. <laughs> okay, great, great. Okay, excellent. So that one, that was no, one okay. of the big challenges. We got a couple of minutes left. I just wanted to ask you, uh, because you have now more or less passed the business over to your next, to your children, no, to your next generation, and I know it didn't happen overnight. You know, it took a lot of years and all that. How did you plan for it? How did you groom them? And how did you finally let go or let in the process of letting go? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, I have planned this uh, right from the very beginning uh, when they were uh, about to finish their secondary school. I was tra trying to decide for them what courses they should take up. Mm. Uh, I have this in mind, that is, I want them to take all my business already at that time. You know? mm. So my eldest daughter uh, wanted to do uh, medicine. She wanted mm. to become a child specialist. Mm. And I said, no, you, I, I don't want you to become a doctor. But she was, that was a dream you know, from young, from a, even from her childhood days. She wanted to become a doctor. And I said, no, doctor is no good. You know, I, I, I was a bit selfish like, because I want her to become an engineer. <laughs> so, so then I told my mother, you know, the, I mean her grandmother, I, said, I told my mother, mom, you, you want to convince her. Then my mother very good. My mother is a very sweet talker. She told her grand, granddaughter, hey, hey, granddaughter, don't become a doctor. You know, every day you see blood. Then you, you, you know, accompany the cops, you know, the dead body. Uh, you there, you, this is job, I better don't take up, you know. So I also told her, I said, hey, look, you want to be a doctor, number one, you shouldn't have money making money. You, know? you don't think about making money. This is a community service. You have to serve. You have to service. You have to make sure that you have become a real good doctor. To serve the people, not to make money. That's the first thing you must in mind. And I said, you want to make money, you have to become a businessman. I, I don't mean to say doctor cannot be rich. Of course, they are or oh, the specialists are all very rich, right? But yeah. still, you know. So eventually, you know, my eldest daughter was very rebellious. She she eventually says, okay la, I want to study. Uh, what do you call it? The, uh, you know, they want to study the those old the old stone. The, you know what do you call it? The anthropology, yeah. archaeology, archaeology, archaeology. You're right. She, told me, uh, she wanted to study archaeology. You know, I said, "What the hell is archaeology? We do with this?" At least you say you want to become a doctor, so it's okay. But when you study archaeology, then then my influence by Indiana Jones, eh? No, no. She purposely want to go against me. That's why yeah, she yeah, to something. And then uh, the, my wife told me. Because you made your daughter so angry, she got fed up with you. Like. She simply didn't say anything. 
after that, she said, you want to study music? I said, why well, you want to study all this thing? Finally, I got fed up. I said, okay, lah. Yeah, choose whatever you like. Lah. I know my but I was so lucky. Eventually, she told the mother, okay, lah, I think I will listen to the father. I will go and study engineering. And I, I said, what do you want to study? I said, I want to study mechanical engineering. Wow, like mine, you know. So <laughs> good, 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 good. But she got one condition, huh? I must study in England. Oh, I said, my bought England that time, the pound was almost seven ringgit, you know. <laughs> I, said, oh, yo. I said, why don't you go to Australia? I, 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 I have one university for you, very good university. You know, University of Western Australia, Perth. Beautiful place. And four, same time zone, five four hours, hours away, yeah. yeah, four hours away, four hours fly only. Same time zone, good weather, you know. But she said, no, I only want to study in England. Oh, my God. So finally, my wife said, hey, what else you want? You want to study engineering? She already agreed. Now she got one condition you cannot uh, comply. Hey, what kind of father are you? So finally, <laughs> I said, okay, okay. So I went, let her study. I was happy that she did very well. She studied in the University of Sheffield. Uh, did a, she got a first class honors in, in mechanical engineering. Wow, first so class honors. I don't play First pay. class. Okay. Yeah, she, was, right. she was the only lady in the whole, whole course to get first class. Mm. Together with a few other two okay. or three other men. Uh, so after uh, that, the next two or three kids was easy, uh, convincing them, is it? Uh, no, the second daughter is very easy because uh, she just followed. Oh, my sister do engineering. I also want to do engineering. <laughs> okay. Then I said, okay, you don't do mechanical. I want you to do chemical engineering. So uh, she managed to get into Sheffield. You know, but I said, no, don't study in Sheffield. Because I have all this plan. You know? I said, you study in Sheffield. Both of you are in the same alumni. Then your, your spread, you know, your network, network. is limited. Ah. So I want you to study in a different university. So they ah. have a different network. Then you can exchange, right? So mm. I said, why don't you apply other universities? So she managed to get into the University of Birmingham. And Birmingham University is very famous for chemical engineering. Okay. I said, okay, you, you did. So she did a chemical engineering there, All right. which is which is good. Number then three. also, then my then my, then my son, my son also did mechanical engineering. She did his engineering in US, USA, which okay. is okay. You know? All and right. then my, my youngest daughter, uh, I said, we have three engineers in the family. It's more than enough. I want a business study. Finance. So I asked her to study finance and account. And she did ACCA. And she did very well. You know, she's, she completed a full ACCA before she reached 21, you know? Wow. Uh, before her 21st birthday, she, 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 she shouted and said, I got, I passed my ACCA final, final exam. Okay. All right. <laughs> so it's good. And okay, how I built them is because and when they were young in the secondary school, I always want them to work in, the, in my office uh, during her school holiday so that they are exposed to the business environment. I mean, mm. even though they may start to do some photocopy, filing, make some phone call, become a receptionist or whatever. Mm. So she is exposed to our kind of business environment. Mm. And, and I think uh, that's how she got interested. Uh, my mm. eldest daughter, when she came back, she worked for uh, Sandabi Group, a big mm. group, one of the Sandabi subsidiary. Uh, mm. got a big company. Uh, but she didn't like the job because she said uh, there's nothing much for her to learn. She's a very fast learner. Mm. Uh, after about, I think about seven, eight months, she said, I don't work anymore. So she got an offer as an R&D engineer. Mm. So I said, you want to become R&D? Then you every day you talk to the machine on it. You know, R&D is a very dry job. You know? uh, so very good pay, a big company. But uh, also she got an offer from some consulting company, consulting engineers company. But finally she came back and, and told me that 
a father can I work for you? Oh. Wow. That was what I wanted to hear, you know. All right, man. So, so I said, I then I was uh, pretending lah. Hey, are you sure you want to work for me? <laughs> you want to work for me, can uh, But there are many conditions, you know. <laughs> you can you can comply, you know. All my terms and conditions, I write them one by one, and before you go through first. If you uh, if you say okay, then you can come and join me. If not, then you go go and go outside. Gee. I was lucky. She said okay. She said okay. All right. Uh, so that's how she got started. Then mm. My second daughter better still because she graduated from Birmingham. She came back. I said, better go and look for a job. She said, no need to look. Lah. I work for Master Jaya. <laughs> <laughs> so she straight away worked for me. You know, she, she just rested for two weeks. Come back, I said, I'll give you two weeks holiday. And then mm. two weeks later, she started work in my company. Okay. And same, same with my son. Her son also. He said, hey, my two sisters work for you. I also want to work for you. Lah. So mm. three of them join me, <laughs> but they are good and bad. Like, actually, my plan is to uh, let them work outside for about two or three years before they came back. Yes, yes. But since they, you know, they made up. So, so, so only three out of the four kids were with you. The fourth, uh, the the fourth one is the accountant. She also worked for me for on three occasions. Uh, but she left after six months. Left then two three years later she came back again. Uh, three four months later left again. Then final draw was when she wanted to do her MBA. Uh, she wanted to do it in England. You know that one year MBA study in the University of Strathclyde uh, cost me two hundred thousand. My condition is, I said you come back bonded. Work, work bonded in uh, Master Jaya, but unfortunately I know return bond lah. No, that's a verbal only. She agreed, no? She agreed. Then after she graduated and came back and worked for us, three months later she submitted her resignation letter. Oh, we were. I was very angry. The mother was even more angry. <laughs> So, um, oh, anyway, you have no choice. Uh. She, she said your company is too small for me. <laughs> <laughs> she used to work for big companies. She used to work for, you know, uh, BAT, uh, British American Tobacco. Uh, okay. She worked for this, uh, this big, uh, this, uh, what do you call German giant. The German, what is the German company? The very big one, the industrial company. Um, uh, what is the German company? Uh? Very big one in Malaysia. So, uh, in Siemens. Sorry? What company? German? Siemens, big... Siemens. Is Simon. it Siemens? Siemens? Siemens, yeah, right, Siemens. She worked for Siemens, right? Siemens is a big company, as you know, Siemens. She worked for BP, you know, British Petroleum. Yes, yes. Those are all big companies. Yes. So when, and she worked for Tanjo PLC, you know, this, uh, what, uh, Ananda Krishna's company. Yes, yes. So these are all huge giants. Okay. So when she came back to Master Jai, she said, oh my God. You are only about, talking about 20, 30, 40, or maybe maximum 40, 50 million. People are talking 40, 50, no, 10, but maybe a few billion, right? They are talking billion, or billion, not billion, right? So, you know, as an accountant, she thought that, you know, yeah, it's just a small company. Yeah. So, uh, but now she's still working outside. Like. It's okay. Like, you know, she has her okay, own. Okay. All right. Great. That's how she gets admitted. And of course, uh, as years go by, I train him from uh, scratch. Huh? Because uh, they have to start from rank the far. Even though mm. they are the, the children of the boss, I told them that you had to work from the lowest rank. You know, she they started working in the factory first. Learn to how to make the product. You know, okay. go and work together mm. with a welder and so on. And naturally, I trained them to go to the site, work at the site, become a site supervisor. Mm. And then, uh, then really treat them to technical design. And then finally, they only go into... Uh, what they call marketing and eventually okay. sales. All right. Okay, great. So that's a great uh, 
some insights and lessons there and a lot of uh, interesting stories. So, AK, in 30 seconds, what would be one or two pieces of advice that you would have for business people, especially during this challenging pandemic time? So what would be one or two pieces of advice you would give to business people? Um, well, to business people, I think I don't much have much advice. I'm sure they have their own they have their own uh, strategies, their own thinking. But for those who, who are planning to venture into business, uh, who are thinking or contemplating of going to business, maybe they have a little advice for them. Yeah. I think the first thing is, you know, you must know yourself very well. You know, mm. Don't simply jump into the bandwagon. Because I've seen many of my friends who jump into business and fail. They will fail, they fail many, they fail very miserably. Mm. Uh, simply because they went into something that they are not familiar with. They went mm. into a territory uh, which uh, is not familiar to them. So I said, and also they don't even know themselves well. I said, you must analyze yourself, your character, mm. your disposition, your personality. You know, are you really in, uh, fit for business or not? Because mm. uh, to be a businessman is not so simple. Uh, you know? yeah. So I said, first thing is your own character. Uh. Are you mm. a sociable type? Are you very open-minded? Are you able to mix with people? You know, are you able to build rapport and relationship with, uh, with the mm. customer or even mm. with all the stakeholders, uh, including mm. your staff, your the banker, the authorities, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think that's the first thing you must uh, analyze. Second mm. thing is you have to you your own know-how. What is your skill? What is your specialty? Are you know do you know everything about this particular trade? Just like you want to go into computer, are you really a computer expert? Are you do you know mm. everything about computer? You know? Mm. So I think that's important because you don't know you depend on people then I think eventually you, you meet up with a lot of obstacles. Mm. So you must know the, know the know-how, the skill, the knowledge and of course uh, more important to me is know who. Uh. Not only know what, know who. Uh, you know who, it means you know who, who, who are the people who can support you, you know, in your business. Yes. Who are your customers, right? Who yes. are your customers? Uh, can, no. you name me, can you name me 10, 10 uh, uh, of your buddies uh, who can say Die, live or die, I will support you. You know, yeah. You can name yes. 10 people, then you can go and start, you know. Yes. But you say, Oh, I'm not okay. too sure. I, I need to go and explore. <laughs> then I think you have to start to think, yes. think, yes. Uh, think way better. All right. Okay. So I think these are these are a few things I think you should you should uh, think about. Okay, that's great. That's great advice, uh, okay. So on that note, I'd like to thank you very much for sharing your vast experience, your rich knowledge, and you know, being generous in your sharing all the lessons and insights. Thanks a lot. Stay Thank for a while. We'll, 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 we'll open for Q&A in a short while. Yeah, okay.